How are you doing today? Welcome to Ram Brulee Gourmet Rambling. I'm your host, Quasi Joblo. Really appreciate you guys coming through to chill with me today. I have a pretty interesting episode to bestow upon you guys today. It's going to stem from um, the topic uh, and one of the topics in the first episode, the intro late episode, where it talks about racism. Because I am um, about the age of about eight years old. I was introduced to like full on what racism was in a very interesting way for a couple of years. And in those couple, about two to three years, and in those two to three years, some horrific things happen around racism. And so I've had a pretty interesting run-in with it. You know, I'm not trying to say I've had a pretty interesting run-in with it. So, you know, I know everything. I just think my interesting run-in with it gave me a pretty interesting perspective. So especially around the fact that while, you know, when I first came you know, this is, you know, my running with race, first running with racism on a real, like, just outward crazy manner was when uh, me and my brothers and my mom moved to South Carolina with our stepdad. And my grandparents were living there as well, my mom's parents. And um, we go to this little town in Union, South Carolina. And um, in this town, it's very racist. And it was very, um, well, let me explain, you know, most people, well, you know, they go, well, how would you know it's racist? Well, you know, well, we, you know, go into a store and, you know, I can't remember. I was a kid. It was Walmart or something. And when we go in, a white guy looks, double looks and goes, oh, hell no. We don't want no niggers up in here today. And uh, I didn't, you know, I, you know, as a kid, I was kind of like, hmm. And, uh. I see my mom, she was very defensive over us and always, as black men, she always, this is before race, I guess this is probably why she wanted us to have respect as men because of what we were going to bump into now because she proceeded to curse this guy all the way the hell out. And uh, I didn't really know what was going on. And uh, long story short, from after that, days, months, years, a bunch of fighting, getting jumped, by white kids, beat up, beating people up, fighting just to get a jug of milk. I'm in this town, and, like, I'm enthralled in racism. Like, you know, I always heard people say, like, the word nigga. I thought it was a term in endearment. The only time I ever heard it was like that, and I guess people have their opinions about that, but, you know. But, you know, I go into this town, and I start to realize where this all stems from. Why? Because it wasn't nigga when they said it was nigger. So I'm like, what's the what's what's the difference? And, you know, I got a crash course because my grandmother was very pro-black in the sense of not one. She never preached about hurting nobody. She just always preached pro-blackness from the sense of just pro-love yourself, pro-love who you are, pro-know where you're from. So if it's white, she said you should be, you know, where you're from. Black, you should, you should be pro, like, not against anybody, but pro-yourself, you know what I'm saying? And so if you're pro-yourself, pro-black, know yourself, be yourself, you know what I'm saying? Embrace yourself. So, you know, I got a crash course in a lot of things being in this town uh, on, like, just, you know, African history, Martin Luther King, all of these things. And so while all of this is going on, a lady by the name of Suzanne Smith decides um, 
for reasons that have nothing to do with race, to put her children, she was a white woman, and uh, to put her children in a lake, put them in a car, and then put them in a lake and drown them. And so, and uh, but when she went to go tell police, she tells police that a black man like jumped in the car with her you know, drove down a ways, told her to get out, and then ran off with her kids. And so for nine days, people wanted vengeance against niggers. And so I lived in this town where, like, Oprah, I mean, the whole world took attention to what this woman had done. I'm in this small town while all hell broke loose for nine days around the issue of race and about a black man had stole two white children and drove off and they couldn't see And so it later came out that, you know, she had taken her children and killed them herself after, you know, a cop had, you know, outwitted her. And um, so this episode, I'm going to give some backstory about Suzanne Smith and I'm going to go through some things. It's going to be a bit of in and back and forth between information because there was a point before where I was. It was like Brawl City with white people just to get to school, just to have a decent recess. We were decent kids. Me and my brothers, we didn't bother anybody. But where I was when, uh, there, when we were out there in, in those areas, it didn't matter. Like, you know, I've been stomped in the face, punched, almost passed out. And then, like, you know, at a certain point, I just, like, I don't know. I guess you could say I have a history of violence because, like, I got tired of kind of getting beat up. So, some people got their ass kicked pretty heavily. At a certain point, people knew, just leave him because I never was a bully. So it was like, if you mess with him, he's going to mess you up. So you get tired of getting, you know, messed with. So, you know, well, I got tired of getting messed with. So people knew that he will go do his homework and he will go home and be polite. But if you mess with him, he's going to put his best into it, putting his foot, you know, trying to break the ankle through your ass, you know. So, and, um, and then that, that while that was going on some pretty horrific things went on and uh so let's get into the some of the let's get into like a story of Suzanne Smith so people because a lot of people don't know you know even people who probably were back in it they don't remember or know and um so Suzanne Smith was born in uh you know Union South Carolina 1971 was pretty interesting with you know she had a pretty interesting social situation as far as her home situation because her mother and father divorced and then five weeks later he committed suicide so she i'm guessing they probably had some interesting things already going on but from the point at which she was a child and that and that has to have an interesting effect on any person that goes through seeing their and knowing that their parents took their life and left them so um but from the time she was a girl she was you know known to be a nice girl and um you know, her mother remarried and uh, she remarried a wealthy man. And uh, so and uh, by the time she was 16, this man started molesting her from the point at which I don't even know what time after, but up until the point she graduated. So I'm guessing till then, after then. But that was something that definitely was, you know, I'm thinking something that, you know, she you know, her situation wasn't like it was a perfectly just all the way there person I think that before she got to where she did she was already going through some stuff and so 
you can see and, and you know i'm not even trying to go through all this and detail this lady's life to try to make anything bad about her i'm just trying to give her like a backstory on like who she is and what would have led up to this moment she had her um her first child she had her first child and her first child was i'm sorry i'm looking it up she got married to david smith in 1991 she uh and that's when she became pregnant with her first child had her first child michael smith in October of 1991, um, I think she was pregnant before she got married, and uh, she had her second child in August of 1993. Um, she seemed to have a bit of like turbulent they had their relationship. She kind of she slept around with a lot of different men. I think she was at a job or a situation where she was sleeping with three different men at once, and this is I think why she was with her husband or you know or they would break up and every you know and they would have things so she would go out and you know i think she may have been a little promiscuous so um i think i mean i don't have nothing to do with that i just think that you know she was a woman that just i think maybe because with promiscuous i don't think i think it's just like a, a star for attention maybe she was star for attention or whatever so um as she's kind of going through back and forths with um her husband breaking up, dating, you know, other men, probably I'm sure dating men while she's dating her husband. And, you know, she's got kids. She meets a man named Tom Finley. He's a wealthy businessman. And I think she meets him through a business that she works for. And this is uh, in 1994. She meets him while she's still married to her husband, David Smith. So. I guess her and Tom Finley started to, you know, date in a, in a, in, I guess, a loose way. And I guess that, you know, she started to like him. He started to like her, but not. She was going to leave her husband and had been planning and making plans to leave her husband. But he had been making plans to kind of just like he liked her, but he didn't want to take it to anything serious. And I think because he was from a man with a family from wealth. And I think he had he had I read something where he mentioned where he's seen her at parties making out with other men and jacuzzis and doing stuff where he was supposed to have been thought that him, Tom and he thought that himself and her were like dating or trying to get to know something. So he kind of came to know who she was and how she got her stuff off. So I, he wrote her a letter at a certain point and said, Hey, we probably shouldn't be together. We come from different backgrounds. And he gave her some advice. If you want to be, you know, he basically said, if you don't, you know, if you want to meet a nice guy like me one day or be with a nice guy like me one day, you can't be a floozy. And so she retaliates in a certain way of saying, well, if you don't, you know, give me what I want by being with me, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say that you, I'm going to put it out that you've been with this woman that has slept with her own stepfather. And and, I've, and she threatened to say that she slept with his own father and she would put it out and embarrass him so you know at that point he's probably like you know what we're done here it's it's over it's good you know she ends the relationship indefinitely so this is where it comes to where i guess she goes into a state of despair and she you know freaks out you know and so from there on i believe the date is october uh i think it was the middle october in 1994, she goes to a, uh, a place called 
John D. Lake. Now, I remember driving past this place and seeing this place when I was a kid. So that's just what was creepy. And I remember when she did what she did, my, my mom being like, we can't go back there. And, you know, because it's just kind of a place that, you know, you should show respect to because some things happened there. And I just been like, man, what? You know, it kind of I mean, it was registering to me, but it was registering to me that, you know. There's something bad, you know, I was like somebody something happened bad, but I don't think, you know. It just was also the level to, you know, it wasn't like I was trying to say we got to keep going to the park. It was just after she said, I'm like, somebody put their kids in a lap. Like, you know, my head was wrapping around it, but my head, you know, I was a kid. You know, it wasn't wrapped all the way around it. So, you know. So after she puts her kids in the lake, she what she says is, is that she drove up to this ramp and she was going to take out herself. But take out herself and the kids she gets out the car takes the brake off pushes the car out into the lake the car floats out into some distance from her into the lake towards the middle of the lake and it slowly sinks she runs to uh some people or before she gets to the police and tell them that a black man has tried to rob her or something like that took her kids and ran off they tell the police so then a nine-day ensuing hunt begins and so like you have to understand this was a really racist town this town was small this was a really small town like in the movie small and it was really racist and like before this went on i'm in like my mom's having to go up to the school like these i mean it was so racist i remember like the gym teacher wouldn't let my my middle brother go to the restroom and he ended up peeing on himself like as a like a first grader or something like that and she made him hold it that bad so it was like these teachers were like really mean i mean it was no holes barred and if they didn't if they thought you were black if they and if they definitely felt you were a nigger they definitely were going to put their effort in to try to you know mess with you so Before she, so she says that the black man took her children. A nine-day hunt ensues. I remember, now, this is not being exaggerated. When she killed her kids, and, you know, there was a point where nobody knew that she had killed her kids because after she did it for nine days, she said a black man did it. So there were two things going on that was real thick in the air. Racial tension and the fact that it, everybody felt it. I was just talking to my brother the other day, just randomly talking about this. And he was, I was eight and he had to been four or five. And he even remembers saying it just something in the air did not feel right. And I don't mean to be like, you know, I'm not trying to be vile or trite or anything, but you know, it, it was definitely the fact that the souls of her kids were crying out from the bottom of that lake. Injustice had been done to them. And you could feel it in the air that just something like it, it was like death was in the air and it could you could smell it. You could feel it. You could almost taste it. And this is not an exaggeration, exaggeration. This was this is this is real. It was a this had a real effect on me and I was too young to interpret it. But everybody in this town with well, the first nine days at which people are manhunting every nigger that they can look for. We couldn't go to school. It, we had to lock ourselves away. I remember one time my grandfather had to get by the window with the gun because he thought it was getting kind of wild to the point they thought people were going to start trying to kick in doors. Like, people really wanted justice. We couldn't go to the store, and when we did, it was scary. People were saying, you you, you know, you took her, you're one of your kind, took this them, those poor children. It was, like, real bad, and, you know, where we were at, people would mob on you. It was a small town, so it wasn't like people, it was like, if anything happened, the, you know, 
Like the police force was pretty small in this area where we were from. So it was like, it was like, it wasn't like anybody cared if anything got out of control, especially if it happened to black people. It was just a small place. And if any, you know, if, if majority ruled. So if, if, if you're on that end of the stick where minority is, a is you know is is screwed then you screwed to the pooch then and you know and um it was a pretty interesting high amount of energy and for those nine days while that lady said that and we had to look at tv and we all knew that that lady was lying and it was almost like why people wanted to do something it's almost like too they kind of knew they couldn't believe it but they just in case they knew because they knew they didn't like black people just in case they knew they had to be as racist and as crazy as they could just in case a nigger did it and so she gets outwitted in the end because a sheriff by the name of what is this sheriff's name? I'm looking his name up. Uh, Howard Sheriff Howard Wells um, confronts her because she says that the where she got kid where the kids got her got, you know, where the guy jumps in the car with her at the supposed guy, the black man. She says she stopped at a place at a street on monarch mills road and so the cop begins to understand and he outwits her and lets her know that that cannot be possible because that light is always uh, from what he said the light is always green and only turn red if there was any uh, like only was triggered if any uh, cars were coming through the cross street and she said she was the only one out there so it was literally impossible so from there he like debunks the whole thing because there's no other cars if she's at the light it's supposed to be green unless there's any intersecting cars and so going through the any cars going through the inner you know the crossing you know street um so proves her wrong she has to come out and on november 3rd 1994 she confesses you know to you know wanting to kill herself and the kids but getting out the car and pushing the car off into the lake. And so from there, that was where you seen it was so horrible that people forgot race because there were white people and black people in the streets crying. Oprah was there. I think Maury was there. Like a lot of celebrities and a lot of things came from all over into this town to try to grieve and give their like respects to these children. From what I, I heard, I don't, I I don't know if it was a urban legend or if it's, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to their, to the, these children in their grave. But when I was a kid in there, it was told that they were buried together because they couldn't separate them. And so it was something horrible. And it wasn't even that you had to even know, because we were too young to, in a certain ways to kind of really conceive, conceive what was going on, but we could feel it in the air. And I, I have three younger, sorry, I have two younger brothers and uh, we were young and we were very close in the sense of just being around each other all the time and just being close to one another just in general. So we all kind of were like looking at each other. It's like, can you feel that? It's something out in the air. And um, I, you know, you know, just that nine day tension point of racial tension, feeling that that is a point that changed my life because I had to realize that like somebody's probably going to kill or do something to us because like, especially if this comes out. So I had to start accepting that if that had happened, 
it was going to get bad. We were already making, I think, I remember my mom telling me once that we might have to leave abruptly if that happens, you know, if they find out that that black man did that because they're probably going to want blood. So looking at this crazy situation where I'm in Union, South Carolina, and before I went to you know, lived uh, in Union, I was in Dallas, which is a total different Texas, which is a total different situation. But um, now I come to this town. I'm enthralled in races. I'm literally fighting every day from people bullying me, punching me, trying to spit on me. I mean, do everything. I mean, I've had people try to piss on me, all kinds of stuff. And um, people tell me that I was uglier than shit. I, I'm going. I'm sorry if I'm pausing. I'm having all these thoughts in my head going back to this stuff. And that I, you know, tell me how ugly I am. That I'm monkey. That I ain't gonna ever be shit. That I was just a, a fucking piece of shit. Like you know what I'm saying. These are, and this is like, listen, I've had, I've looked like a 45 year old person in the face, and at a store in Walmart, and like was like eight years old, nine years old, looking at this person, holler to the point they're damn near spitting on me because they want to tell me how low I am. I've had direct like real hate. People throw like damn near ready to throw pickle jars, you know, even just rude things sometimes where, you know, I remember my, we were in a store or I don't, maybe we weren't there. I think this is a story because we've had other things happen, but it was a story my mom told me that happened when we weren't there at the store with her at Walmart. And she goes into a store and I mean, goes into Walmart and she's in this aisle, like maybe like the nail polish out or something she was saying and some lady goes down the aisle and uh pushing her child and her child locks eyes on my mom says gets the most foul look in her eyes little child this child was like three or four years old she said maybe five if if and goes eeny meeny miny mo catch a nigger by its toe and my mom says she goes what and, you know, my mom's kind of what we call uh, <laughs> a wild nigga, you know. And so uh, she, you know, and not in the sense of just like she was anybody know her. She was like a sweetheart and that. But like far as disrespect, she that that I don't know what it was. But that, it, you know, it was another she werewolf out on your ass about the disrespect and this child. And she asked that child what she said. The child said it the exact same way to her again. And my mom looks at that mo- uh, at the child's mother and goes, you know, you need to tell this little ugly ass thing to have some damn respect. I ain't even do nothing to this thing. And the lady says she can call you a nigger if she wants. And, you know, it goes into that. Just like it was just crazy. Some of the stuff that we all experienced being in that town and then literally having a fight just to get to school, just for somebody not to want to spit on you, not to somebody want to punch you in your nose or for three dudes to try to tackle you and pound you down. So another dude try to kick you in the mouth while you on the field. It's just like you went from all of that to then like, oh, my God, if this if a black person really did take these kids, we're all in the doo doo, you know, and then to find out that, you know, this late this white lady did it, which made everybody go, you know, and it wasn't that it had nothing to do with it just has something I don't think for me, I never registered as like a lot of times like white is more so like this lady killed her kids to put them in the lake. And that, you know, for that while it was like a piece with race. I don't remember race being that much of a problem for those couple of for a while. Well, and I'm not talking about wild, like for like, well, for me, it was like I never it continued. It was race was still a problem, but it was just until like after the funeral and stuff of those boys like people just kind of like put things down and was rather mourn those children because it was something horrible that happened to them and so you know my life 
was enthralled in, you know, in, you know, in, like, the, I guess the fires of racism and, the you know, all that stuff. Because I was literally having a fight for my life some days. And I was just, like, kind of, I guess a lot of people don't know that about me, like, you know, until they, I guess they got to deal with that about me. Like, I'm nice. I am genuinely a nice person. But, like, if we need to do some digging in, like, to some like to see who's going to try to come out a conqueror like i've i'm been baptized and having to learn how to dig in and <laughs> and that so that you can't be overcome by another human so you know this is very interesting you know because i wasn't you know we and even you know that's why you know i think it was blessed that we were taught like even even through all of that you know my mother raised us like even though all of us do not hate them do not hate anybody. Hate is not something that should be in you in general. And I, and that was something that was really healthy to experience as well to like that, even in the sense that, you know, I fought to where people was punching me and I had to fight back. But other than that, like I would really try to back out of it. I wanted to rather show respect and everything because like, you know, I, you know, I didn't want to hate. I didn't want to be, you know, hateful. I didn't want to be you know, I guess I, I, you know, I seen how white people made me feel with all the some of the crazy things that they said to me. I didn't want to make anybody feel like that. So, you know, I'm very grateful that, you know, the, even in the experience that it opened my eyes to a lot of things. And this is where I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, but I was so ready to get into the information that I'm going to do a three part series to all of this to where. You know, this one is where it's going to, you know, the introduction to my whole introduction to racism in a very crazy way. Um, The next episode is going to kind of just go into like the part two of this is going to be where I'm going to, you know, it's going to be called the rodeo show. And it's just like after understanding and being given that perspective of what racism was and how dangerous and how it can be used. The things I experienced, especially as I got older and older, the things I experienced, the things I saw happen to me and other people around me was like being at a rodeo show. So, you know. And then, you know, the episode after that, which is the part three of it, I'd like to do something like my understanding and give like a consent, like, you know, a whole consensus to like you know, how I, you know, my thoughts and my understanding are more like an intellectual piece to the notion of what I think from the time of slavery or even before America was founded up to what led to even this even being, you know, because, you know, this is just my experience. This is where people have probably had way, you know, crazy experience. They can tell you, you know, who knows if they're alive to tell about it, who knows if they're sober enough to articulate it, because it does. You have to have a particularly strongness to go through something like that and be able to um function you know i guess people most people think well where was your mother at and all this my mother you know she was there the whole way through she fought a lot for us and that she you know she wouldn't let people she fought that every i mean my mama get to checking them white folks so crazy them people be seeing us the next day talking hello sir how are you like she demanded that they show us respect and not because we were black because we were humans and definitely because we were respectful just as much as they were, were respectful so she fought for us and we weren't raised kind of like, you know, I guess the way it, I guess since we were so deeply pushed into that down there, um, they didn't you know, it wasn't introduced to me on some. Oh, 
all oh, these people don't like you and oh, it's so sad it was like yo listen you black you fine you african pride dying you know like like it wasn't really taught in a sad way it was to be proud of where i was from and where i came from and that this was a um, racism was always taught to me that it was a lie and that it wasn't true and it was based on a lie and the more i've read books and the more that i have gone through understanding what's going on it's really all based off a perspective that had the advantage used mostly in the form of a lie and uh but my mother introduced me and my brothers to be esteemed in who we were and even if we had to fight for it even if we had to cry for it or whatever we had to be humble for it we were to be proud of who we were and not there's just some sense of just like saying it through the knowledge through the wisdom through the understanding and um they had us reading and watching documentaries on slavery and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. So it wasn't introduced to me in this old poor me way. It was introduced that it's a lie. You about fine as you ain't ugly about what? That's where the ugly nigga what? Like, you know, we were, ain't nobody. My mom tell me ain't nobody pushed out no ugly nigga. You know, she want to say they mama's a ugly ass nigga. So, you know, that's <laughs> that's the way I was raised. Like it, it was almost it was asinine to believe that there was something wrong with me because they said it. So. I was taught to humbly even. It wasn't like about being better or anything to anybody. It was to believe in myself and know myself. And, you know, and nobody had the right to take that down. Even she would tell me not even her. So I was, you know, just truly esteemed, I feel, in certain ways. And especially in, in light of that, the fuck, the, excuse me, <laughs> the fact that there was a, a smell of death in the air. And my mother had to uh, teach us how to navigate that. So um, interesting experiences, interesting uh, times. Um, I've, I've been, this is not some of the craziest stuff I've, this is one of the crazy things I've been through in my life. I've been through a lot of other crazy stuff, but you know, it's not a woe is me story. This is what happens. If you really want to know, I was almost like really King Kong, like dropping suplexes on motherfuckers calling me ugly, big lip nigga, catch a suplex fuck around. Really? It's not a sad story. It's really like people knew I earned my respect. It was almost on, I might even, I'm not. It may sound corny because most people know me like Ryan's old, nice, softy, nerdy dude. But it was like it was almost down there on some gangster shit. Like I got my respect. And if you wasn't go, especially from like younger men my age or even from adults, me having to be smart enough because people know I'm smart and I can talk my way around words and like having to use those to navigate. It wasn't just physical. It was mental. If you needed a suit, a mental suplex, I could drop that on you. And so, you know, I um, made a promise to myself. One day, watch my grandmother was showing me a um, a video, and it was talking about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And I looked up, and I got this this supercharged up feeling. It wasn't emotional; it was just like an alignment, like things that started to make sense. And I pointed at that television screen, and I said, "You know, I'm going to do that one day." And um, I have I have been on a mission ever since, and I keep my mouth shut and I stay to my mission. And that's not to defeat anybody, you know. This not no, you know. I don't want to defeat the white man. I don't. That would take a lot of killing or a lot of crazy stuff. And I'm like, I think that everybody should thrive, the good ones and the bad ones. I just need to stay out the bad ones' way. Do your thing, baby. Let me just go over to the other way. And whoever, you know. So I'm not preaching the word that anybody needs to be defeated. I'm preaching that those those that are defeated should not be, de particularly black people, should rise up in their own selves and use, the, this is the free world, baby. Use your knowledge, use your access to knowledge and uh, get to where you need to be in this lifetime. But you ain't got to be a nigga in nobody's nigga gutter. So I hope that, you know, with this conversation that we've had and, you know, this, I hope this episode was another just like dropping a hat of just being able to understand where I'm coming from, 
why I'm coming from there, why I'm even talking like the way I'm talking, because like, you know, I've had a pretty interesting life enthralled in some crazy shit. And so I hope that, you know, like I said, I'm going to follow through with another episode that's going to be called, you know, what that episode going to be called? Sorry, I didn't slip my mind. Um, the rodeo show. Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, I'd like to, uh, you know, I hope that you guys enjoyed this one. Um, the next one is going to kind of just be a follow up, but not like talking about this particular subject, just more so the random things that I've been through, crazy things, the the whole, just the whole ride of racism. I'm not going to get into particular time to talk about white people. I'm, I don't even want to try to bash nobody, but I want to get into the, the ride you got to go through on, 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 on the racist train and or the roller coaster really. And, um, and it's different per black person. And everybody thinks racist because, you know, white people think, well, like, how can we solve it for you? Well, like, well, just like things just can't be solved for one white person and be solved for everybody. Like it's individually this racism thing individually affects everybody different. And so my introduction on it was on some just straight into the fire, having a fight for my life and then like literally being able to feel smell like almost taste it was thick in the air it, it made everybody feel my brother was four or five years old and he said he could even think back to that like something in that just wasn't right it was that foul of what happened and unfair and you know just evil i think so you know and that's not i'm not trying to bring this up to bash the woman who did you know suzanne smith you know i'm not and i'm not trying to take up for her either i'm just you know i was there you know the shit happened and uh I'm talking about my, you know, just as I knew it, as I saw it. So I hope everyone enjoyed the episode and the perspective. I hope you guys are out there being safe. Hope you're out, you know, I hope we, you know, as more so we need to be out there loving each other and not with the whole little giving hugs and kisses. Love is a competency of self. Take that competency and promote to others to have it of their self. That is love. I'll let you guys. <laughs>